welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of September 2010, entitled, When the Harvest is Past, and the Bible reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word and commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer for the preaching of the message. Jeremiah chapter 8. Verse 20 says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Father, we do thank you for this, another Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, or for the time that can be set aside to, Lord, truly show our thanks to you by, Lord, bringing our gifts to be generous to others that are less fortunate than we Father, we know that you have met our needs so wonderfully in the past year. And Father, we pray that, Lord, in the words that have been spoken, the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed, Lord, that you've recognized our thankfulness this morning as we bring it before you truly from the depths of our heart. As we look into your word, we recognize and realize so well, Lord, that we need your hand this morning to speak to us. Say something, Lord, that is needed in each heart, because you know each one that is here. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, that we would be receptive, that we would respond in whatever way we need this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, Lord, I mentioned, of course, that we're here on this special day that we call Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday. And of course, it's particularly to thank the Lord for His gracious and certainly bountiful supply over the past year to each and every one of us. And I know that there's few of us today that actually go out ourselves and manually harvest the crops with our own hands that are displayed before us on these tables up here today. But even though we may not physically do that ourselves, still today it requires the same process is the only reason that it is before us. It's only through God himself giving the increase that our needs are met through the harvest, regardless of who is actually gathering it in. It's also only God that gives the increase that allows you to go down to the local supermarket or wherever and purchase those items and put them upon your table that someone else has harvested on your behalf. Now, it doesn't require, and it certainly shouldn't require, a certain day for a Christian to be offering thanks to God for his blessings to us. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Word of God says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. We should be a thankful people every day of our lives for everything that God brings our way. The Bible says, in fact, that's God's will for you to be thankful for everything that's brought your way. So we might ask ourselves then, well, why do we set aside a day like we have today and why do we call it Harvest Thanksgiving Day? And yes, this day in particular, in doing it at this specific time of the year, it's a tradition that has been brought down from man, particularly to give thanks to God during the time of the year when the harvest has been reaped, recognizing that it was God that gave the increase, and it's only because of Him that those crops would be there. And yes... I realize that it began at a time when the vast majority of that congregation would have been out gathering in those crops themselves 
for the food to go on their tables and to store them up to get them through the cold, hard winter months. However, we can look back a lot farther than that. When the bringing of the first fruits of the harvest, whether crops or animals, as an offering to God, goes right back to earliest biblical times. For this reason, we've got another display that's before us today. One represents the fruit, the vegetables, the crops, the harvest that God has brought to us that would be necessary for our daily sustenance, recognizing that it is God himself is the only one that's made that possible. I think that it's a very worthy thing to offer God thanks. But of course, rather than bring in all the crops as was done at one time, we also encourage you to give in harvest offerings on this special day. And all these gifts, we've always tried to choose a worthy cause, a worthy ministry to give those offerings to that particularly help in the feeding of those that need to be fed. And of course, we have before us today the other display that is representative of Kenya, which we'll be hearing about tonight because it's brothers and sisters in Christ that live in Kenya, that go to the Santon Independent Baptist Church there, that these gifts will be going to. They'll be the recipients of all the offerings that are given today. One of our own missionaries, Brother Tom Canfield, will be responsible for seeing that these offerings are used in the best way to feed those that have real genuine needs. Most of us only think we know what it's like to be hungry. <laughs> Most of us have never experienced real hunger, and particularly for any length of time. We have brothers and sisters in Christ today that struggle just to be able to put enough on the table to be able to sustain and feed their families, and in some cases, they just don't have it at all. So what better way for us to show our thanks to God than to be able to take and share those bountiful blessings that we have with others that need those today? And so I'm proud to be part of a harvest of Thanksgiving Sunday in giving God the recognition that he deserves and setting aside a time that we can bring our gifts that can be used in a way that would be a blessing to fulfill the needs of others. God's people have celebrated festivals right down through scriptural history, and I think this is a worthy festival for his people to be celebrating today. Now, I want to draw your attention back to our scripture text for today. And, of course, it's God himself through Jeremiah the prophet that uses the harvest in a spiritual sense as well. He uses the harvest of the natural in illustrating the harvest of the spiritual. And we see both applied in the Word of God. Now, according to Jeremiah, who of course was writing under inspiration of God himself, it is possible, according to our text, for the harvest to be passed and yet not to be saved. And for us to fully understand what he's saying there in that simple statement, I want us to take a brief look at the context in which it's spoken. This is made, as far as we know, it's probably the, it was the first of two sermons of Jeremiah's that were preached from literally the gate of the temple itself. And it literally covers chapters 7 through 10 here, four chapters that records this message. And this verse is found about midway through his sermon as he is speaking there. Now, we don't or we won't take time today to read through the entirety of his sermon beginning in chapter 7. 
But I would like to at least look at the first part of this for us to, to, to get an, uh, at least uh, an idea of why that he is making this statement to the children of God there. I'd like you to notice, first of all, turn back into chapter 7. He says in verses 1 and 2, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter at these gates to worship the Lord. The message was given literally at the gate of the Lord's house. It would have been the temple in this case. And it was given to those that were entering through those gates to worship the Lord, Jehovah God himself. They were coming into his house that had been set aside for him to worship him, and this is the message that was being given to him. So these folk were, doesn't necessarily mean you're completely right with God when you're coming to church, does it? <laughs> they were at least religiously minded to some degree. This was people that, not those that were out there denying to have anything to do with God, but those that were coming to the temple for the stated purpose of purpose of worshiping the Lord. Now notice what it says in verse 3. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed none innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. You see, we find out in the, as soon as he opens his mouth, preaching to those that are supposed to be God's people at God's house, and it's a message of repentance. That's what Jeremiah is bringing to them. If they would just genuinely repent and change their ways, God's blessings will be upon them. He's promised them that they'll be able to remain there in his, with him forever and ever. Same promise that he had made to the fathers before them. Notice when he goes on in verse 8, Behold, that's what you could have. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom ye know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name? and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. You see, God knew their hearts, and God saw the lives that they were living. They could carry on their religious stuff. They could come to the house. They could come say that they were there to worship God. But God knew what was within. He knew what was real and what wasn't. And God knew something else. God knows all things, and so therefore he already knew the end from the beginning. You see, the truth is, though he was giving them every opportunity as we'll see that he had done for years and years and years to repent, to change their ways, to change their heart, and yet they kept saying no. God knew. God knew that. He knew that their hearts had been hardened. He knew that their hearing had become dull of hearing. He goes on and he says in verse 12, But go ye now into my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you heard not, and I called you, but you answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, 
which is called by my name, wherein you trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. You see, God reminds them. He reminds them to look back that he's been a God of judgment in the past. God cannot and will not overlook the sins of his people. And he assures them that just as those before them, they will face the consequences of their sins by continuing in the path that they are following. He goes on, he says to them, therefore, this is very interesting, pray not thou for this people. Jeremiah, I don't even want you to waste your time praying for these people. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings and other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. God, God could see the hearts. He could see their hardened hearts. And he said, Jeremiah, there's no point in even praying for them anymore. There's no point. You're wasting your time. This is a religious people that have left the truth and they're completely caught up in all of their false worship and their false ideas. He says in verse 19, Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. You see, it was man's original sin in the beginning that didn't just bring a curse to himself, but to everything on planet earth. The toil, the labor, the hard work that goes into producing these fruits. And we find here again that what man was doing, the life that he was living, the sins that he was committing, was bringing God's judgment not only upon him personally, but upon the harvest that was there. He goes on and he says to them, you know, you're going to face the wrath of Almighty God because God is crying out for repentance for you to hear, for you to listen, but you have not he says in verse 21, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifice. Notice this. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. These people, they're caught up in all their own ideas. You see, they're, they're blocking God out. Even when he keeps trying to, to get a hold of them and for them to recognize and for them to, to realize what they're doing with their lives. They're going through the actions. They're coming to the house of God. They're play worshiping and all with their God. And yet, their hearts aren't in it. They're going backward instead of forward. We find that they're so caught up in themselves. And though they don't even realize it, <laughs> the false gods and false ideas around them because many times we don't call them our false gods, do we? But other things have become more important. Other things that they had fit into their lives that they tried to, to rationalize away for themselves 
And God said, what I want is your heart. It's not even all these sacrifices and everything else. They're worthless without your heart. And the thing is, when God gets our heart, you know what else will come automatically with it? Our obedience. Our obedience. We find that that's all he was asking of this people. We find that he goes on and he says to them, since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. Boy, that's, uh, that's encouraging for the spokesman of God, isn't it? You're going to say these things, but nobody's going to pay any attention. <laughs> nobody's going to hear you. Nobody's going to do anything about it. But you're still giving them the message. Verse 28 says, But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is caught off cut off from their mouth. Wow. Could truer words be spoken even today of our churches, of our nation? There's one time walked with God and has gradually, just as the nation of Israel here, instead of going forward, they move backward and backward and away from the truth and away from God being able to really get through and speak to their hearts. It would change their lives. God's given them opportunity after opportunity. He said he sent person after person after person. They just wouldn't listen. They're caught up in their religious delusion, and they've actually lost sight of the truth. Notice as he goes on in verse 29, cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. I mean, we, could, we could talk there. I mean, basically, they're going to be exiled, and that's what this is symbolic of. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it unto my heart. We find that he goes on. What he's saying to them here is that in essence, they've made a mockery of God's house. They've polluted it with their falseness. Yes, their false hearts, <laughs> Their false imaginations, their false religions. And God is about to simply cut them off. He's about to allow them to be exiled. He's about to leave them desolate. He's warning them judgment is coming. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall not more be shall be no more called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beast of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. His judgment is coming. We find that as he moves on into chapter 8, the message of the people's sin and God's judgment continues. Notice down what he says in verse 12 and 13. Notice, notice the condition that their hearts have reached. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. 
In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade. The things that I have given them shall pass away from them. The people's attitude towards sin. I've heard me use the term before. People can become desensitized to sin. They just get so used to it. People become desensitized to God because they just ignored Him so much. And God keeps trying through all these different channels in different ways to get the message through. He wants His blessings to be upon them. He wants His bounty to be upon them. And yet, His people continue to play games because everything else has their heart except Him. He goes on and notice what he says in verse 14. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defense cities and let us be silent there for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We look for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, behold trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and they have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country, is not the Lord in Zion? Is God there? Why? Why is God letting this happen? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger in their graven images and with strange vanities? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved for I heard of the daughter of my people, am I heard? I am black. Astonishment has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? You see, there's a lot of questions being asked by man and by God in these verses. We see, in essence, the fulfillment of this was Judah being exiled under the Babylonian Empire. They were taken into exile. It's those under the judgment of God, the God that they have turned their backs on, basically, or maybe more correctly, have turned their hearts on. They've accepted the lies of the enemy. They've allowed their their flesh and all the things and all the things around it to have its impact to where that basically they're not hearing the truth of God anymore. They've appeased themselves. They've made themselves feel good about their situation as they're getting farther and farther away from God and God no longer has their hearts. They prefer the favor of the world, the favor of others, and the favor of the, of the world's gods. They continue to come to God's house to worship. But in fact, they're making a mockery. They're bringing their abominations. They've kept a religious attitude. But there's absolutely no heart in it whatsoever. You say, preacher, is that possible? Folks, it's happening all around us. It can happen to a person without them even realizing it. These people, under God's judgment, they passed a point of no return. They suddenly recognized a very grave truth. The harvest is past. The summer has ended. And we are not saved. They recognize it too late. I mean, wow. 
Can you imagine what an awakening that would be? These Jews suddenly woke up to the, to the situation that they were in, but they realized they had passed a point of no return. The harvest was already passed, and yet they weren't saved. You see, today, the Word of God over and over to each and every one of us, yes, to your pastor as much or more than anybody in here, Repent. Turn away from those other things that would distract you, that would, that would take you away. Let God have all of your heart. Let Him truly have your heart. All the obedience and all the other things, they will come naturally if He has your heart. There's too many other things that has our hearts today. You see, He tells of another judgment that's coming. But the next time, it's not just to the nation of Judah on their own. Next time it's a judgment that is being brought upon the whole world. You see, today, just as then, the places that are called by the Lord's name, the Lord's house, they're being filled with abominations, with untruths, with false religions and false ideas. Too many have left the truth behind. They simply continue in their religious actions in a place that's supposed to be set aside for God himself. Folks, may I say, soon and very soon, the harvest will be passed. The harvest will be passed and once the harvest is passed, it'll be too late. There's a few simple truths that we need to remember about the harvest. You see, we've got to recognize, and for various reasons here this morning, I believe a truth that we all need to grasp. And maybe, just maybe, this harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, rather than just being a time that we've come together with a lot of pretty decorations and, and things that are out which we're thankful for, but maybe, just maybe, it can actually make a difference in our lives because it makes a difference in our heart because we open our ears and we open our hearts and we listen to what God is saying to us. We need to remind ourselves of the consequences of the harvest passing by and yet being not saved. You see, before there can be a harvest, there's got to be preparation. Open, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll, we'll be real quick, but just to give you a couple of things. The Gospel of Matthew, a very familiar passage for you there. Matthew chapter 13, and again, the Lord himself uses... This idea of the harvest. You see, before there can be a harvest, there's got to be some preparation. It doesn't just happen by itself. There's got to be some preparation. There's got to be some preparation that takes place in the field. And the Word of God teaches us that our field is the world that we live in. Preparation requires some things. It requires a sower. Somebody physically will sow those seeds for that harvest to come. It requires the seed that's being put into the ground, and it requires good soil that's being put into. Just simple. For a good harvest, those things are necessary. In Matthew chapter 13, the Word of God says in verse 1, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth when the sun was up. They were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. 
And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. You see, it took a sower, it took a seed, and it took the, the good soil for there to be a harvest. Notice what he says as he speaks of this beginning in verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. He interprets it himself. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he no not root in himself, but dureth for, for a while. When tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. We don't have a lot of time to dwell there. But what I want you to recognize this morning, very simple. God shows us a very natural thing with the harvest and at the same time a very spiritual thing with those illustrations. If there's going to be a harvest, before there can be a harvest, there's got to be some preparation. And it's going to take somebody to sow some seed. And it's going to take the good seed, the proper seed, to be sown. And it's going to take some good soil to put that seed into before there can be a harvest. Not only does all that preparation, all that work to make sure that the right seed has gone into the right soil and somebody's put all that work into it, but there's also got to be provision. You see, we can do the work of a good sower. We can sow the good seed. We can sow it in good soil, but it's only God himself that can give the increase. He's the only one that can do that. Notice what the Word of God says in the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Notice what it says in verse 26 to 29. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately... He put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. You can't have the harvest until after that seed that's been sown has actually been brought forth. We find that if we look over into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice what it says in verses 5 to 8. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Folks, can I say simply, whether you're talking about what it took to get this ear of corn in the natural world, somebody somewhere had to sow a good seed in good soil but all that done, there's no human being alive that could make that seed turn into life again and to put forth this corn that I hold in my hand right here. Only God can give that life. Only God can bring that increase. And we've got to recognize today in the spiritual world just as well, somebody has to take that good seed and they have to sow it in good soil. But you, nor me, nor anybody else can bring forth a soul from that and them have eternal life forever. Only God can give the increase. But we have the responsibility. God needs workers. Somebody's got to do that work. You see, before there can be a harvest, there must be preparation. And before anything can be harvested, there's got to be the provision, the increase that can only come from God. And all through that preparation and all through that provision stage that comes before the harvest, there's going to be some challenges. 
There's going to be some things that are going to have to be faced and that are going to have to be overcome if the realities of that harvest are to ever be known. You see, problems. We all face problems, don't we? Problems. Problems come from all different areas. Problems are going to come from the wicked one. One problem we can count on is the fact that the wicked one, the enemy, Satan himself, he is working overtime in order to prevent and destroy the crop or the fruit of our labors before it can be harvested. Go back to me to Matthew chapter 13 again. Notice what he says here, beginning in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, and his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. The time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, to gather the wheat into my barn. We find that if you look just a few verses over, picking up in verse 36, Jesus explains this mystery, this parable. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house of his disciples, came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. I'm saying, folks, that there's going to be some challenges and some problems. And one thing as God's children we're going to have to fight against is the wicked one. He is out to destroy any harvest of our Lord. It's not just the wicked one that we have to worry about, though, the workers. Workers, a problem with workers? Well, a great harvest requires a lot of workers. There's a great harvest to be had. But unfortunately, the Lord says the laborers are few. In Luke chapter 10, notice what he says in verses 1 to 3 there. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself could come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he should send forth laborers into his harvest. You find that also back in the gospel of Matthew chapter 9, you'll find some very similar words in verses 35 to 38. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Saying there's going to be some problems. The devil's going to be fighting, and there's a lot of work to be done, but few are willing to do it. There's another challenge that's got to be faced. Look with me in the Gospel of John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. I guess it's a, uh, a word that is often used in our day because I guess so many people experience it, but 
we're going to have to face some pressures. There's going to be some pressures. You see, there's always a certain amount of pressure with anything that's got to be done inside of a specific time frame. A harvest is something that fits into that category, folks. There is an urgency to get the harvest in before that it's too late. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, notice what he says in verse 34. He says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. We find that you know, the simple truth is, is that it's very easy to say, well, I'll do something tomorrow. The Bible says here, Jesus said, you're saying it's four months yet to the harvest? No way. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They are white, all ready to harvest right now. So we see that before the harvest, there's got to be the preparation There's got to be the provision that can come from only God himself. There's going to be some problems found in the wicked one and and also in the workers. There's going to be pressure because the harvest must be got in when it's ready. Because if it's not, when the harvest is passed, where anything that's not already been harvested, there's only one thing that remains, and that's perishing. Perishing. You see, if it's not harvested, there's only one catastrophic consequence that can come for everything that's still in the field. It's going to be waste. It's going to be total destruction. When harvest is passed, that which is left in the field can only know death and decay. And even as we see here in Scripture, true in reality, often it is that dead waste that will often be burned. Folks, salvation can only come at harvest time. That's the only time. The seed have got to be sown. God brings the increased. Yes, there's challenges that we'll have to fight against, but he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. There's a harvest that's ready to be got right now. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As men count slackness, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'll close with this statement. Today is Harvest Sunday. Maybe, maybe, saved person or lost person here today, maybe it's harvest time for you today. You see, one thing's certain with God now is always the time, not tomorrow. Not next week, not what you can do next month and next year, but right now. God's time is when he calls, when he speaks. That's the problem that Jeremiah was being told, look, I've been speaking, I've been speaking, I've been speaking, but nobody's listening. The problem is if we don't listen, there is the possibility that there will come a time When will the harvest pass for you? Well, it could be with your next heartbeat. Because once you leave this life, you're past the harvest. You're past the harvest. It may be when the trumpet sounds, when the final harvest will be got in, the Lord Jesus Christ comes himself. But the truth is, it's possible. It's possible. Soon the harvest is going to be over one way or the other. It'll be past. Is the harvest day for you? You see, Christians, can I leave you with this thought? Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. Look at them. Look around you. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Non-Christian that may be here today, May you never have to face the reality of those words.
Has God called to you before and you've not listened? Have you, have you some way, you know, been, been sidetracked if you've got maybe your religious actions and all these things, but God doesn't have your heart? I would only pray today that you would never have to face those words. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. We are not saved. Today may be harvest day for you. Father, we thank you today for the time that you allowed us to gather on this harvest Sunday. Lord, we have so much to praise and thank you for in the natural harvest as well as the spiritual harvest. Father, a simple truth that Jeremiah was proclaiming to these people here, well, these people came to recognize that there was a time when the harvest had passed, but they weren't ready. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to the hearts of each one here. Help us not follow in the footsteps of Judah. Help us not follow in the steps of others that have gone before us. Help us not go through a lot of actions, even in your house, that our heart's not really in it. Lord, may you have our hearts. You're speaking to some here today. Lord, help the pride to be swallowed and everything else that might be hindering. Help them just to give you their heart truly, wholeheartedly. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize and realize the importance of this simple message that it's possible for the harvest to be passed when the harvest is passed. Lord, it's going to be great for those that have been gathered in to his barn. But Lord, it'll be terrible for those that perish because they weren't harvested from the field. We pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 